through a show of physical force that we would expect. Not through a new politician that's elected into a different office, different branches of government being overseen by a different party. It's from the bottom. It's from the lowest of the low. The sick, the demon-possessed, the outcasts, the poor, the weak. Jesus goes to them, touches them, and they are never the same again. They become his followers. They become his disciples. And then through that, he still dies. You would think, wouldn't this servant of God, the Most High, wouldn't he not die? Wouldn't he be invincible? Wouldn't he be able to take on any threat and defeat it without a sweat? Well, what God says is that this Messiah will die. This Messiah will die for the people he came to save. God doesn't take this lightly. Right? I, I went over this last week. The, the, the things that Jesus endured, lingering and praying in the garden with the Father, sweating drops of blood under the weight of what he was about to do. None of us have gone through that. None of us have come close. But Jesus willingly goes forward and dies for us. And it sums up at the end of this chapter. Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief. I think that radically changes, perhaps for some of us, the way that we understand the cross in some ways. Like we, we can go through the Gospels and, and read and understand Scripture and think, okay, it was, it was our sin. It was the, the Romans who, who crucified him. It was the Jews who arrested him. It was, it was the Pharisees who mocked him. It was all these things that, that played a part. It was even the enemy. It was Satan himself who definitely approved and applauded all of it happening. But above that, it was the will of the Lord to crush him. This takes us back to the Trinity in which we see the Father, Son, and Spirit in a plan of redemption before creation happens. All of creation, all of history is about this moment when Jesus dies. It wasn't a plan B. It wasn't an afterthought like God made the earth. He made mountains and lakes and us. And then, you know, threw in the plan of the cross after we messed up. It was the plan beforehand. It was the plan before all of that. And in this agreement, this, you know, you think about this, this discussion, this covenant that the father and son talk through. They were going to have this plan of redemption. And this plan, it involves the son being killed. Also involves the son being resurrected and taken into glory. This plan isn't just Jesus gets murdered. This plan 
involves and really is centered on the love and glory of God displayed. How far will God go for you? Will he just give us law? Will he just tell us sexual ethics? Will he just tell us be generous with our money? Will he just tell us to serve? Will he just tell us to do all these things and not be able to exhibit any of that himself? He gives us those things. Not to hinge our hope upon those things, but to, in another way, look at what the Messiah will be like. How will he treat women? How will he treat men? How will he treat slaves? How will he treat the sick? It's all about the love of God being displayed for the world to see. That was what this plan was about. So some people, I think, mainly in in the secular circles, will see that verse and think, oh, that's just divine child abuse. Well, it's a much deeper, bigger picture than that, as I just explained. Jesus willingly endured this for you. He eternally bears the marks, the holes in his hands, the holes in his feet and in his side. That's the picture of eternity when we are united with God for all time. He willingly does this. It's not abuse. It's a much bigger, deeper, glorious plan than we could ever conjure. It says that Jesus, his soul, makes an offering for guilt, for our sin. Shall see his offspring, he shall prolong his days, and the will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Verse 11. Talking about Jesus again. Out of the anguish of his soul, he shall see and be satisfied. Why? By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous, and he shall bear their iniquities. It was a satisfying thing for Jesus to endure that. If you go to Hebrews 12, 2, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame, and is now seated at the right hand of God. That involves seeing his righteousness upon you, Christian. One of the big challenges I've experienced in the last couple months, being a dad of two now, and having a newborn that just really struggles with sleep, although the last couple nights were pretty decent, but, man, there have been some rough, rough moments, particularly at night. And I think most of you parents know this because that's when you're weakest, when you don't have a filter, when your anger actually shows. And many times, and I still have to keep repenting of this, I serve my son when he's crying in the night and he needs to go to sleep. But I often do it begrudgingly. I often do it spitefully. That's not the way the Father sees you. That's not the way Jesus sees you. He doesn't serve you begrudgingly. He doesn't die for you begrudgingly. 
He does it willfully, with joy. He's not just like in love with this future version of you. Paul says in Romans 5, that even while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He sees us in our sickness, with our sin. He sees us in our weakness. He sees every thought, every part of our past and our present and our future. You think of like the worst thing you've ever done. How you felt afterward, how you felt during. I think, I can't forgive myself. How could God forgive me? And it, it's this lavish, unconditional love that Jesus shows us. It's what he's talking about in this passage. That not just loving you despite your sin, but he is taking you and I on a, a path of transformation to be given his righteousness, for the Father to see us, to be counted as righteous, to be counted as clean, to no longer see us according to the things that we've done, but to see us according to the things that Jesus has done. One of the best ways, I think, to understand that is in early Matthew when Jesus is getting baptized and he comes up from the water and you see the Trinity interacting here. The Spirit falls upon him and the Father says, what? He says, this is my beloved Son, with whom I'm well pleased. The righteous one, the pure one, the clean, the clean one. But then you go to Romans 8, and what Paul says, we've been given the spirit of adoption as children of God, and that his righteousness would be accounted as ours, so that when the Father would see us, he would not just see our sin, our past present, future sins, he would see the righteousness of Christ. And so when the Father sees us, he sees my beloved children with whom I am well pleased. It hinges upon the suffering servant. It hinges upon the love that Jesus shows us. He poured out his soul to death and was numbered with the transgressors. Counted as a criminal. Yet he bore the sin of many and makes intercession for the transgressors. I talked about this last week, but why abandon it? Jesus intercedes for you. Not just on the cross, but it's a continual life with him. He is your advocate. He advocates upon your behalf. He pleads and prays with the Father to bless you. Even though you've already been blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, in Ephesians 1. Every spiritual blessing. He still prays for you. And he's not giving up on it either. He still prays for you when you look at pornography. While you're looking at pornography. He still prays for you when you have thoughts of anger. He still prays for you when you're not generous. And when you abuse his grace. And we flippantly go through a service like this. Using his name in vain. He still 
loves us. He still prays for us, church. He's so faithful. There's, I love a wide array of, of worship songs, and I love the hymns that are really wordy and, man, can have like eight verses, even though we don't sing all eight verses. It's really long. They're really rich, right? Like, rich theological content. Like, man, this is so good for us to sing together. But I also like the simple songs. I also like the, the, the spontaneous songs. Recently, um, what was it? It was, let me look up the song. Yeah, pretty sure it was a song Getting Ready by um, Maverick City Music in Upper Room, which put out kind of like a dual album a few months ago. And uh, man, there, there it's the song about the, the second coming of Jesus and how the church is ready, getting ready for you. And uh, um, the first two tracks, that's the second one, but the first track, you hold it all together. These songs tie in just a really simple phrase, Jesus is faithful. That's all it is, right? And some of you, you know, you're like, man, I, don't, I can't handle, you know, five minutes or whatever of, of just that. Um, some of you are like, let's go, let's go there, let's do that all the time. Um, for, for me, what has been um, a constant battle, man, over this last year, and maybe you're in that same place too, I really need simple truths of the Lord really pounded upon my head and on my heart. And often when I am led to anger and, and lust and pride and all those things and disconnect, I lose sight of God's faithfulness. I lose sight that, that Jesus is faithful to me more than I will ever be faithful to him. Um, this just hit me. I'm gonna wrap up. Yeah, Second Timothy two thirteen. If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. He can't deny himself what he wants. And what he wants is you. He will always be faithful with you. And this picture that God brings us into in Isaiah, the suffering servant, is clear evidence of that. You see the cross. You see God's faithfulness to you. He's faithful to all of his covenants because he loves you. He's taking you where you are and he's bringing you into glory. Church, this is the message that this world needs. 
amongst all the bitterness, amongst all the tension, the anger. This is what the world needs. They need a Messiah who suffers on their behalf, who causes the striving to cease, who causes the tension to cease, who causes the anger to cease, and the bloodlust to cease. Because the blood has been spilled. We see that clearly. It's for you. It's for me. It's for the world. So, yeah, let's respond. Um, So we're going to take communion. If you didn't get one, they're in the little buckets outside the door there. Um, And when we do that, guys, this is remembering his faithfulness. It's remembering his love for us. That Jesus would give his body and blood for you. His broken, dead body for you. His spilled blood upon the cross and upon the ground for you. That we are now covered in. That declares us clean and righteous. Linger in that. Linger in his faithfulness to you this morning. If it feels distant, God, I pray that it would not be distant with you today. Linger in prayer. Get with the Lord this morning. If not today, when? Now is as good a time as any. Because you're not promised a future time. On this earth with him. You don't know when it's going to end. And I want to end on a high note if possible. Right? He's still faithful regardless, but I want to end on a high note. And as we linger, perhaps God is just really imparting something upon your heart. And I pretty much believe that will happen today because of the way this has gone. So (laughs) I think we should be open to that. Um, Specifically, if God is bringing uh, a specific word just for this body. Um, or for, for healing or for anything like that for people to come and receive prayer at the end of this morning and if you feel like man I don't know it seems kind of weird Terry's the filter and he can say it so he can sound weird okay he's used to that <laughs> but man let's just end go into just a time of worship let's start it up um, so yeah. Let's linger in that. Jesus is on the throne right now. He's been on the throne. He's been reigning and ruling over your life. Before you knew him, before you cared about him, before you had anything to do with him, he was still in control of your life, reigning and ruling, praying on your behalf, even while you were still sinners never regretting the choice he made to die for you. Never. He never has a second guess about what he did for you. And he's bringing you into the greatest experience you could ever have. A life that will stretch you, it will challenge you, it will bring tension. 
bring persecution, but it will bring you into a deeper understanding and presence and experience of the Father. There's nothing like that. So Lord, we come before you now and we plead, come. Come soon, Lord Jesus. Come and make all things new. Come and give life to this church. Come and give life to this city. Would your glory be made manifest among the nations through this church, through its people, through your sons and daughters, Lord. Would you raise up disciples? Would you raise up people who are hungry for your word, who are hungry for worship, and hungry to give mercy to those who have none? Bring transformation, Lord. God, would we be known as a people who seek your face above all? God, would you minister to the hearts that are weak this morning to know that you are faithful to them until the end. You are faithful to them right now. You care about them. You care about all the little things that went wrong this morning, but you still love them. Jesus, you're faithful. Who is like you? Interceding for us and taking on the sins of many. Speak clearly to us in this time, Lord. Because if you don't go before us, we don't want to go. We want to go where you're leading. Where you're calling us to take steps of faith. And to walk with you. For the glory of your name for our joy. Amen.